today on Ag News Daily. A herd of maybe over 100,000 would be very interested in, in talking to them about what uh, a long-term strategic partnership could look like and how we could work together. But uh, we've, uh, there's an urgency to do this, as all of us know, around climate change. And to date, there have been very little technology opportunities available to farmers and ranchers. Well, listeners, welcome to a Tech Tuesday edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast. Tanner Winterhoff here, joined by Cassidy Zirkel. Welcome, Cassidy. Thank you, Tanner. I'm happy to be back. Absolutely. And for our listeners, they're happy to have somebody else have their voice on here after running a solo show yesterday. So thank you for bailing me out. So I didn't have to do that two days in a row. (laughs) Yeah, congratulations on your first solo show. I listened (laughs) and it sounded like it went very well. A little shorter, but then again, uh, when you have full control, uh, things don't take nearly as long. I tell you what's also not going to be available for much longer, and that is the granular agronomy arm of Corteva. So it had been leaked a couple weeks back, but officially yesterday, Corteva made the press release announcement that as of August 31st, Corteva will discontinue granular agronomy, which is supported by the network of certified service agents. The uh, Corteva provided the following statement. They regularly evaluate business strategies, operations, products, and portfolios to ensure that we are creating the most efficient and reliable supply chains. We also focus on resources. Following this path, Corteva recently announced the gym to discontinue granular agronomy. This will affect up to 100 positions, uh, and they will look to support the key pieces from the granular insights platinum package on a new digital roadmap. So it looks like to me, Cassidy, they're taking the parts that were working well and will rebrand those into another division of Corteva. They stated, even though they will no longer offer these digital tools to support nitrogen management, they will still provide unparalleled economic services and support through their dedicated nutrient staff. So granular as of August 31st, 2022 will no longer exist. Well, Tanner, it's great to hear that they're making a good business decision with that discontinuation, but I'll tell you something that is continuing and at full force are the wildfires in Texas. We have two really large ones burning right now. Walker County Fire, which is just about 30 miles north of where I spent the last four years at my college, is over a thousand acres and is expected to jump the Trinity River soon and go into Trinity and Houston counties. And then we also have the Possum Kingdom Fire, which is only about 300 acres right now, but it is 0% contained and burning quickly. Houses have been evacuated and tourists at the lake have also been evacuated. Yeah, the National Weather Service is forecasting winds from 15 to 25 miles an hour in those ranges. Uh, I had seen that piece of news as well in conjunction with the heat wave that continues that I reported on yesterday. So still... Triple-digit effects for much of Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, parts of the other area, including Missouri and Arkansas, uh, are continuing to see levels that might top out at 112 degrees. But good news on the front of corn and bean inspections. They rose week over week, according to the USDA. Inspections of corn and beans were higher 
while wheat assessments declined a little bit, corn inspections for the seven days that ended July 14th rose to 1.074 million metric tons above the 934,000. So a big jump there on the corn inspections. Total was almost on par with the same week of the year prior. Soybean assessments reported at 362.6 thousand metric tons, up from 358.5 again. That is well above the 143 that were inspected at the same point in 2021. So pretty big jumps there, Cassidy, on the inspections for export on the corn and bean side of things. Yes, Tanner. And something else that is on the rise, obviously due to the drought, the fires, and the heat wave that you reported on yesterday, is the beef cow slaughter. It was at 146 year over year during the first half of this year and beef cow herd is likely to be down 2.5 to 3.0 percent in the mid-year inventory this lowering of the inventory would mean that the july 1 beef cow inventory is the lowest it's been since 2015 due to this rise in the slaughter of beef cattle yeah that uh, is interesting statistics we we know after uh, reporting on what's going on in some of these dry pasture plain areas that may lead to some earlier coal or more slaughter figures uh, as that relates. Uh, but certainly something for us to continue to keep our eyes on. Uh, victories, though, in the eyes of row crop farmers, especially those that are in favor of importing uh, UAN. So the import fertilizer victory, ITC, ruled against import tariffs on UAN from Russia, Trinidad, and Tobago. So victory for the farmers, possibly a loss for domestic fertilizer companies, but the International Trade Commission on Monday voted against imposing tariffs on urea, ammonium nitrate from Russia, Trinidad, and Tobago. So the ITC stated that uh, these two countries will not injure the United States industry. The decision comes after months of intense lobbying, obviously from members of Congress to stop the commission from imposing tariffs. The comes as a welcomed relief, said the spokesman for the National Corn Growers Association, Chris Edgington, uh, president actually. He said, we've been sounding the alarms, telling the ITC commissioners that tariffs will drive up input prices and cripple the supply on farmers. So a lot of good publicity here around a decision that it seems like a lot of the ag organizations are in support of. Uh, Definitely positive news for our listeners. Yes, Tanner, and I'll tell you one farmer who hasn't been getting positive news lately is a Minnesota man who has been accused of falsely selling crops as organic. He's accused of making nearly 46 million in this fraud, and he's charged with the felony wire fraud and scheduled to appear before magistrate on July 22nd. His wire fraud crime is punishable by up to 20 years in federal prison. That is a great update because we touched on that last week. Uh, So now we know what he's facing for time, and we know that this is going to take place here. What did you say, July 22nd? Yes, he will appear before court on July 22nd for his ruling. Yikes, it'll be interesting to follow along with that one. We'll have to keep our listeners up to date. So the last piece of news that I have is the USDA's weekly crop progress report. 
Corn development, 30, 37% of corn was silking as of Sunday, July 17th. That's 15 percentage points behind last year. Uh, we noticed that that was probably going to be a continuing trend as uh, we had late planting progress earlier this year. Crop condition, 64% of corn was rated good to excellent. That was unchanged for the previous week. When you get into the soybean side, crop development-wise, 48% of soybeans were blooming. That is 7% behind the five-year average and 14% uh, behind last year. Crop conditions, 61% of soybeans were rated good to excellent, down one percentage point from uh, last previous week. Uh, when you look at winter wheat harvest progress, 70% of the crop, the winter wheat crop was harvested as of Sunday. That's right on pace with the average. Uh, spring wheat, 68% was headed out, 22 percentage points behind the five-year average, again, due to those late planting and wet spring conditions. Did you have any more news left for the day, Cassidy? No, Tanner, I did see that most of the crops on the boards are looking red this morning and maybe some proteins in the green. How are the markets looking? Yeah, so I had gotten a couple of alerts this morning that I just wanted to share uh, labeled here around the world. So you look at uh, 170,000 acres of ground has been destroyed by wildfires in Spain this year. So we talked about uh, wildfires in Texas during your portion of the review. The United Kingdom is in its first time under a national heat emergency with temps uh, looking to be over 100 degrees. Ireland is reporting the highest temps in over 100 years for their nation. Uh, the USDA trade mission is looking to foster stronger ties in the Philippines, which doesn't bode well for bull camp investors and the soybean market. So you are right. As we record here today, we're looking at corn and the beast corn contract is down 22 and a quarter. The November soybeans are down 34 cents even on the day. Uh, when you look at the wheat, hard red winter wheat, um, pretty much unchanged. Looks like we have uh, maybe down a penny uh, in some of the contracts, but almost unchanged to looking at September uh, down four cents. Uh, other than that, like you said, Cassidy, not a great day in the grains, but when you flip over to the livestock side, feeder cattle is up $1.40 while live cattle is hovering around even on the day. Lean hogs were down 80 cents in both the October and December contracts. So uh, mixed across the board as far as markets look for us on this Tech Tuesday. But with no further ado, let's jump into our Tech Tuesday conversation for the listeners. Well, folks, as new technology comes down the pipeline, really excited to talk about this one today because it's been an announcement that was made a couple of weeks ago now. But looking at the first commercial sale of reducing methane in cattle feed, and we're chatting about this topic today with Dr. David Lawson, Chief Technology Officer for CH4 Global David, thank you so much for joining us today. I would love to just start by learning more about your background and what led you to CH4 Global. Sure. Well, thank you for having me. Um, you can gather from my accent, I'm uh, Scottish. I was born in uh, Glasgow in Scotland. Uh, I actually went to Glasgow University and I'm a zoologist. In fact, uh, our whole family are, were farmers in Scotland. Uh, some of them still are today. Uh, so I was interested in animals, zoology. 
unfortunately there was no jobs and so I moved abroad to Germany I completed a master's degree in tropical medicine and then subsequently my PhD in molecular biology at the Max Planck Institute in, in Germany and was then privileged to work for Procter & Gamble for 27 years um, all over the world um, and basically the work we were looking at was around innovation. How do you take um, academic research of which P&G does an enormous amount uh, and turn that into products that people actually use, love and want to work with. And so that was my background. I was privileged to retire a couple of years ago um, and met some folks at Procter & Gamble who had just created the company CH4 Global. And so a couple of sort of intersections of things came together. One, the urgency around climate change is a passionate area of, of mine. Uh, two, the fact that we had a technology opportunity, which we had licensed from the government labs in Australia, CSIRO. And thirdly, uh, some of the skills of Procter & Gamble of taking that research and turning it into products that people could use. And so that was the, the start of CH4 and taking our asparagopsis seaweed species uh, to try and make that available to farmers to help them reduce the methane footprint that uh, ruminants would have uh, in their herds. So a little bit of background of what I do. That's great. And that's exactly why we reached out for this conversation, because we've reported a couple of times on uh, agricultural issues related to emissions, whether it's uh, the methane coming from livestock or we're talking about uh, the equipment that the industry runs, or we're talking about carbon credits to where farmers could potentially make money back from that. So would you be able to tell us a little bit more about your asparagopsis seaweed and what that can actually do to help reduce methane emissions? Yes, I mean, we can go all the way back. I mean, these are, as any good science starts with some observation. Someone stands there and notices something and it was a Canadian farmer who noticed that when half his herd were grazing on the beach versus on land, they seemed to grow a little bit bigger, a little bit different. So that was the observation. And once that started to get studied by a gentleman called Rob Kindley, who is now based out of Australia and was initially at CSIRO and is now part of the Future Feed organization, he observed that the reason they were growing slightly better was that they were eating a variety of seaweed. And the seaweed was changing some of the metabolism of the animals to switch them from producing methane and to producing uh, other materials, volatile fatty acids, short-chain fatty acids that could be absorbed better. And so the long story of the, all that research, which has gone on for a decade now, um, is that we were able to show that ruminants, when they consume a very specific variety of seaweed from the asparagopsis family, there's two varieties, Armata and Taxiformis, that an active compound in that seaweed called bromoform can change the metabolism of the ruminant microbiome to less methane. And in some cases, over 90 to 95% reduction in methane. And so now you have methane, which is 86 times more potent as a climate gas than carbon dioxide, having a significant impact, and now a technology solution to help farmers reduce that, which wasn't available before, and so that is what we are trying to do today. So no one had commercialized asparagopsis. And so the first stage of CH4 Global is actually to harvest from the wild this variety and to try and grow it 
uh, in large quantities that we can actually harvest it, process it, uh, and make it available to farmers to add as a feedstock to their to their ruminants. So that could be cattle, it could be sheep eventually. Um, so that's where we are today. So asparagopsis seaweed, is it grown in a greenhouse? What does the production look like from that aspect? Because when you think about seaweed, I'm thinking of stuff that washes up on the shores of a beach. And obviously that's not what we're talking about here. Yes. I mean, it does... So asparagopsis grows all over the world. Uh, you can find it uh, off the Azores. You can find it off the north coast of, of Ireland, California. But it is native only to Australia and New Zealand. And so that is where we have started our company out from. There's some biodiversity um, issues about why you would want to commercialize it there. We are looking at the moment of wild harvest and growing uh, in both Australia and New Zealand on lines that we would put out in um, identified bays. Uh, we're working with the indigenous population, with the Maoris and the Aboriginals. A lot of these uh, populations actually own the ancestral waters. So we're partnering with them uh, to help them put these lines out, grow, and we can harvest the material from there. Um, as I said, since we're a startup, that's where we're starting today. Um, the potential of growing this material on land, uh, one day in tanks, uh, or in ponds or other kind of structure similar to that is certainly something we'd be looking at just to be able to scale the technology. And as you look, of course, at global expansion plans, the ability to be able to do something in, in Europe and in, in the, you know, Latin America, uh, US or something like that would be very important for us to look at different ways of growing that. But today it's a, a wild harvest cultivated on lines um, and a little bit in tanks. So you can imagine we have a sort of a hatchery, uh, a nursery where we grow them. We can seed the lines, the lines get put out, and then we can harvest from there and then process the material. So you just threw out the term startup. Is this a supplement that is ready for market right now? Or where are we at in the process of farmers being able to use it? So we actually, if you had some press releases out the last couple of days, we started selling and feeding to cattle our first commercial product in Australia. So 12th of July, we have started uh, with a limited number of, of animals with a partner in Australia. Uh, that's the first commercial uh, sale of asparagopsis. And so that's where we're starting and growing today. So we have a, a five-year, a bold five-year target uh, to reach about 150 million cattle uh, in the world. That's the five-year target we've claimed. Um, there's about 1.5 billion ruminants in the world. Uh, and so they are the ones that we're trying to target ultimately, but 10% is what we're going after. So interested in taking pre-orders from, from anyone who's interested in this technology to try it out. We'd be very interested in, in talking to them about what uh, a long-term strategic partnership could look like and how we could work together. But uh, we've, uh, there's an urgency to do this, as all of us know around climate change. And to date, there have been very little technology opportunities available to farmers and ranchers uh, for them to try and reduce their methane footprint. Uh, there was a publication a couple of weeks ago that the New Zealand government is now going to tax uh, the methane produced by animals in their country. And so this is one, one technology solution that uh, people can look at going forward. And David, I think that's a great segue here into wrapping things up. 
direct our listeners, if they are interested in learning more about the technology or would like to potentially test it out for themselves, where can they go to find more information? Probably go to our website, CH4, for methane, ch4global.com. And there's a contact button there. You can easily contact us and someone will get back to you and we can start a dialogue. Fantastic. Well, David, we certainly appreciate you joining us once again and uh, very interesting technology. So we're glad to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Happy for your time. Thank you very much. Well, Tanner, that is. Yeah, it's CH4 Global. Okay. Yep. Go ahead. Tanner, that was a great conversation with CH4 Global. I love learning a little bit about what they're doing to help with food security and new innovations in agriculture. Yeah, and it's it's always interesting to see the companies that are willing to step out and use new science to potentially combat what government regulations are going to come down the pipeline. So uh, great conversation. We learned a lot. But for today, I say we wrap this up. So should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.